if you have a Bible this morning, find the book of Colossians, Colossians, and we're going to be in chapter number three. And today we are uh, continuing our study on this book of the Bible called Colossians. This is actually part five of what looks like is going to be a six-part message series. I say it looks like because there's always a chance that this next week when I begin to study, we'll, I'm going to have to go another week. But I think next week will be the end. Uh, and today, we kind of turn the corner in this letter uh, to a little bit of the end. And if you haven't been here the last number of weeks, that's what this book of the Bible is. It is a letter. Colossians is a letter that was written by a man named Paul. Sometimes he's called the Apostle Paul, if you've heard that phrase. Uh, But Paul had this supernatural experience with Jesus in the middle of a road. In fact, Paul is a fascinating person in the Bible because the dude was like anti-Jesus in every way possible. He was traveling around the area persecuting, even being a part of murdering some of these new Christians. Uh, He was standing up for the religious stuff that he grew up in and was anti this new movement that was Jesus. And so he's traveling around, he's anti-Jesus, he hates Jesus followers, and Jesus appears to him in the middle of a road, right in the middle of the day, bright light, Paul is blinded by it, and Jesus speaks to him and says, hey, buddy, stop persecuting my people. You're now going to be a part of bringing my message to the Greek and Roman world. And Paul's like, I can't see and I don't know what's going on, but okay, let's do this, okay? From that moment on, this man named Paul becomes a passionate follower of Jesus. A decade or so later, he begins traveling all throughout the Roman Empire, telling people the story of Jesus In the process, these little churches begin to form. And this is where we're getting to the book of Colossians. These little churches begin to form all over the Roman Empire. Uh, And Paul is in and out of prison during this time. Why is he in prison? He's been traveling the Roman Empire saying, Caesar ain't Lord, y'all. Jesus is Lord. I think he had a little Texas in him. I'm not sure. But... uh, (laughs) And the, but the Romans don't like this very much. These Greek people don't like that, what he's saying. And so multiple times he ends up in prison. While in prison, one of the final times in his life, he writes a handful of letters that are sent out. And people grab these letters and they travel with them to these small little Christian communities that are all throughout the Roman Empire Uh, And the book of Colossians is one of those prison letters of the Apostle Paul to a a group of Christians in a city called Colossae, uh, which is in modern-day Turkey. And we've been going through this letter verse by verse. It's only four chapters long, just a few pages in our Bible. Quickly, let me get us all caught up on, on the same page All right, so that we can get to where we're going today. He starts this letter by saying, I love you guys. You're amazing. I'm encouraged by you. He even writes out these little prayers and says, I've been praying for you. He references his chains and how he has been suffering. He's writing this in the letter and he says, but even in the midst of my suffering and in the midst of change, God is working and God is doing incredible things and he's being glorified. He then transitions 
and he gets to the reason he's writing this particular letter, which is that he has heard that these people are feeling pressures from their culture to turn away from their faith. And on one side, there's these Jewish people that are saying, you need to become Jewish if you want to truly honor God. Uh, and, and Paul's like, you don't have to become Jewish. This is different. And on the other side, we have this Greek religious culture that wanted to make Jesus just one of their gods. And there's pull to that direction. And Paul says, Jesus is all you need. He's it. This is everything. Stay strong in that. Uh, and, and he says, continue to live like those that have been made alive in Christ, okay, and all of that. Uh, and then he goes on to this stuff where he begins, and this was like last week where he, he says, put to death all of this nasty ways of living, uh, sexual morality, lust, greed. You used to live like that, but you are different now. Live with compassion and kindness and humility and all that. Forgive people. And it's this beautiful stuff. L live grateful lives and sing songs of gratitude. And it's this beautiful letter. That, okay, turn to your neighbor and say, that was the second longest introduction in the history of the world. Because a few weeks ago, it was even longer. Yeah. All right. And that brings us all to today, okay? And I'm excited to get to today. Uh, and so please stand with me all over this place while we just read our portion of Scripture together. This is Colossians chapter 3. We're starting in verse number 18 and going all the way through the first verse in chapter 4 is what we're going to do. Follow along on the screen behind me if you don't have a Bible with you. Uh, but here's what it says, and this is going to get pretty dicey, and we're going to talk through it, okay? Here we go. Verse 18, wives... Submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not on stage like he is. You just say that too. All right, let's pray. Uh, God, we, we pray for your help. We pray for clarity. We pray, God, that, that even with some of these difficult words, that we would approach this with humility and uh, truly just wanting to glorify you, God, in every part of our life and everything that we do. And so we just give this to you, God. Help me, God, to speak uh, what you would have me speak. Not my ideas and not my thoughts, but Lord, I pray that this would really be from you. And so we just give this to you, God, in your name we pray. Amen, amen. All right, give someone a high five and have a seat. Let's go. <clears throat> All right. Raise your hand if you were alive in 1950. 
Whoa, that's, that's okay. Some of us are like, why are you asking that? That is not okay. Some of you are thinking, I'm not raising my hand, and that's, we, we know who you are, though. You can't hide from us. But how, how many of you, and you don't have to be even that old to agree with this, but how many of you would agree with me when I say that marriage and family is quite different than it want, once was in our country? Do you agree with me? Yeah, I mean, very, very different. Many of you grew up 50, 60, even 70 years ago. Life was much different back then, wasn't it? Uh, life was much simpler, is the way you could put it. Life, uh, homes were much smaller. Statistically, like, it's, it's crazy when you look at the average house size in America compared to now. Uh, we did not have as much stuff. Uh, paid work was, for the most part, for men in 1950. Women stayed home with children and kept the home. Laundry was, for the most part, done by hand. Uh, took much more time. Refrigeration was really only a luxury at that point. Purchasing food was a daily thing that was happening. Kids ran around the neighborhood with other kids all the time. How many of you remember that? Okay, yeah. Uh, I, I, I grew up even in that. And I think of like the movie Sandlot, where you just have this group of kids, they, and that's like in the 50s, and they just run around all day long every day, and it's just what they did. Uh, and some of us are like, the only video games we had when I was a kid was called Outside. Okay, yeah, that's what some of you think that. Um, the, average, the average kid had lots less stuff than they do now. Uh, and at the same time, probably more responsibility. Uh, people didn't live together before they were married. In fact, almost all women lived with their parents until they were married, when you read about this type of stuff. Very few women went to college. Money wasn't the same. You didn't go out and buy things you couldn't afford. There weren't credit cards and loans for everything like there is today. There weren't TVs in most homes, and if there was, it had three channels. Uh, how many of you remember that? Okay. Uh, families would do things together. The meal in a house was important. You sat around the table together and had a meal, and that was a part of life. Uh, family outings done together, family chores, housework involved everyone. Slower paced, simpler way of life, and many of us have memories of that even in rural Minnesota from a long time ago. Family and marriage is so much, it's so different in our culture that it once was. And some of that is good, okay, and some of it isn't. And I think we just have to admit all of that. But the point is, it's, it's very different. And we can go back in history even farther and farther and talk about things in family 100 years ago and 150 years ago and 200 years ago. You can look in history and you can see the differences in all of those types of things. Now, why do I bring any of this up? When, when we look at Colossians chapter 3 and we look at the section of Scripture that we are talking about today, we need to understand a couple things. We need to understand first that we are stepping into a different time, a different culture, a different situation, and you really see this historically in the idea of marriage and family and children. This is very different when we're looking at the Apostle Paul's time in 2062 or whatever this was, 2062. Uh, 062 is what I meant by that. Some of you are like, I don't even know what's going on. In the year 62, things were very much 
different. And so we have to go into this passage of Scripture with understanding that there's a difficulty here for us to navigate through this part of the Bible uh, as we know that some of this stuff is cultural. Uh, at the same time, the, like, even though there are cultural situations in the Scripture that don't necessarily 100% relate to you and I today, we must be very careful not to just go out and label things in the Bible as cultural, because that can be a very slippery slope. And many people in our setting right here, uh, in America specifically, have done that with the Scripture and looked at the Bible and said, no, 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 we're going to kind of cross that off and say it's no longer that, that's no longer relevant. We have to be careful, okay? So understand with me right now that we have a difficult task on our hand trying to figure out and navigate through some of the cultural things, but there's also clear biblical principles that come out of this that we want to gain and go into, okay? <clears throat> so we must prayerfully and humbly go into the Scripture with a heart that truly desires to be right and true and godly. This section, or the section before this one in Colossians, which is what we looked at last week, was titled The New Humanity. And Paul makes the case that things are different now in Christ than the Greek and Roman culture around them. Now that's very important that we remember that one. That's where he went into all these things and he says, you used to do this, but don't do that. Your culture's doing that, but don't do that. Instead, do this. And he paints this picture for us. Uh, he then transitions to what we have today where he is going to illustrate this in a very practical way which we could call the new Christian household, all right? Uh, we have the Roman household and transitioning into this new Christian household. We're going to see Paul paint a picture of what a Christian household should look like in comparison to this first century Roman household that these people would have grown up in and they would be seeing all around them. Now, before we actually go through the scripture, let me summarize what Paul is going to say in more of a big picture sort of way. Go ahead and put that first picture up here for me, okay? I want you to picture with me a culture where the family is 100% and in every way ruled by the man, okay? Understand that I'm talking highly authoritative, absolute power, in fact, the man holds the power of life and death over his children, his wife, their employees, and their slaves. In fact, the wives and the children in the culture of Colossae in the Roman Empire, the wife and the children aren't much more than slaves themselves. This is the culture. The husband is the controlling head dominant figure in the home, and everyone exists to meet his needs and his wants. And I think that this picture kind of sums this up really well, the adult male standing above everyone else. The wife is standing next to him, holding a fan there to meet his every need, all right? Uh, you could, like, we don't like to say it this way, but in this culture, she's almost a sexual slave. It's not good. It's horrendous, expected to do everything in the home, take care of everything. 
You can see the child even kind of in the background, afraid of dad. This is what this would have looked like. Just feel with me the dominance, the power, the authority that the man in this Roman culture carried with him in his home, okay? Paul, in a very subtle way, in fact, as we read this, you may not even feel this transition happening, but Paul is going to kind of drop a bomb on this entire thing right here, and he's going to say, hey, this is how the Roman culture and the Roman household looks and works, but not so, not anymore in the Christian household. Go ahead and put that next picture up here for me. Uh, And Paul's going to basically say, in the Christian household, the man is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord over all of that. And that changes everything. In a Christian household, the husband isn't this dominant leader. The husband is subject to Jesus by loving his own wife and actually placing her well-being above his own, is what we're going to see. And, and in the Lord, the wife allows her husband to like take this incredible responsibility on him for all of that. And the kids, well, they're just not, they're not just like objects, that, that, like, but they are actually called to maturity and respect. And parents are to raise their children with patience and understanding Christians who are slaves, and this gets like super messy, are to honor their human masters uh, precisely because they are not their real masters. Jesus is their real master. Uh, Christians who have slaves, Paul even will address that, are are to understand that the slave is not their property but a fellow member of Jesus' body and is to be honored and embraced. What is happening here? Paul is about to reshape the most basic human institution, in this case, the Roman household, and he's reshaping this entire thing around Jesus. That is what's going to happen. And Jesus rules and leads with this self-giving, self-sacrificing love. All right, go ahead and put up both of those pictures for me at the same. This is like the transition of what we have in our section. This is the big picture here of what, of what Paul is doing in this part of the scripture And for us, as we read this, and when we read this verse by verse and word by word, it can be very difficult to keep the big picture of what he's doing in mind, and people often get really caught up in some of the individual words that Paul is going to use and the things that he's going to say very specifically, especially when he uses these certain words, okay? And there's no bigger one of these in the very first verse in this section, Verse number 18, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. We're having fun now, aren't we? Okay, this is good. Wives, submit yourself to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And that word submit has caused all sorts of problems throughout the years in, in the church and out of the church, it feels like a harsh word. Uh, and understand, this isn't the only place that we see this exact line. We also see this in 1 Peter chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Exact same phrase, wives, submit to your husbands. Uh, let's just say it how it is. We don't like this word submit, do we, ladies? Like, it's, it's kind of a weird word here. And what do we do with this? Uh, And it can be easy to read that phrase 
and immediately think of some of that Roman household stuff that we just talked about, right? Where the like, like, hey woman, go get me a sandwich type of language, you know what I mean? Rub my feet and bring me the remote control, okay? And the house is a little messy, don't you think? Like we hear the word submit, and it's this word that carries with it kind of a barb uh, in a way. And, uh, but I want to bring you back to the big picture of this section of Scripture, because I think it's important when you understand the big picture of this, to, we have to understand that in order to begin to understand what Paul is going to do here, okay? Paul's purpose in this entire section, and as crazy as this sounds, his purpose even in that line, wives submit to your husband, is he's attacking the husband-man dominated way of thinking, all right? He's not reaching into a culture where the women are just out of control and he's telling them to shape up. That's not the context here at all. Paul is speaking into a male-dominant, dominated culture, okay? And there are things we can talk, talk about when it comes to headship and leadership in the home, which is definitely a piece to what Paul is doing here as well. But I'm just telling you, like, even that is not the deep underlying thing that Paul is doing with this section. And we really begin to see this in what Paul says next to the husbands, Okay? And so women, if you take this one verse, wives submit to your husbands, and you don't go on to the rest of this, you will get stuck, all right? But let's look at the next part, verse number 19, the most shocking verse in this entire thing for the original culture is verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, we, li- we hear this right here, and we're just like, well, duh. I mean, like... Why does Paul even need to say that? that, isn't, that isn't that what marriage should be, all right? Uh, like, obviously, a husband should love his wife and not be harsh with her, but just understand, understand the context of all of this. I, I can't even begin to tell you how crazy verse 19 actually would have been to this Roman culture, all right? In fact, in this Greek and Roman culture, love was not what any of this was about, okay? Don't, don't miss this. Marriages were, some of them were arranged. Uh, marriages were strategic, often. Marriages were transactions. Like, you didn't marry someone because you fell in love with that person. That was not, that is not the ancient history of marriage almost anywhere. That is a new concept, that you fall in love with someone and then we get married. I'm, I'm serious. It's crazy, isn't it? Uh, but you, like into this culture where the man has every right and, it, and everything is pushing him to the top and marriage is a transaction and marriage is arranged and marriage is families working things out together. Into that, Paul writes, hey, you may have grown up in that. That may be how you've lived up until now. That may be how your neighbors and co-workers and everyone around you is doing this and views all of this. But as Christians, that stuff is no more. It's, it's no, this is no longer the way things are going to work. Husbands in Christ Things are different in Christ. You love your wife. You love your wife. 
And as you dig deeper into this simple phrase of husband loves your wives, because this, this is going to come up in other places all over as well in the Bible, this is quite literally this. Don't miss this. Husbands, treat your wives as if they are more valuable and more important than you are. So think about this in that culture. In a culture where men are dominant, men are ruling, men are everything, Paul is going to write, hey, in the new way in Christ, husbands, you actually need to think of your wife and treat her as if she is more valuable and more important than you are. That is crazy. That is so far out there. How, how come you're not as shocked as I am about this? Like, yeah, I just don't feel it in that way. Live in such a way where their needs are above your own. Live in such a way where her needs are met before your needs are met. We read, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And we think, well, duh. But like, I can't, I, this, this culturally is just such a mess. It's countercultural in every single way. In one of the other letters Paul wrote, he actually expands on this. This is out of a letter called Ephesians. Same author. He writes the same stuff. Wives submit to your husbands. But then he says this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Like husbands, you're to take your understanding of what it means to love your wife from the way that Jesus loved us. Oh, and by the way, Jesus died for us, if you didn't know that. Jesus died. Now, it, if I'm a woman, and I'm not, <laughs> but if, if, I'm, if I'm a woman, understanding that makes the word submit not quite as harsh. Would you agree? In the entire context of husband, place her needs above yours, treat her as if she is more valuable and more important than you are. It's this beautiful balance. This, is, this has nothing to do with submit in the way that, that many of us view that word. This is actually a beautiful, countercultural, life-changing thing for these people in Colossae. A beautiful balance, the Christian marriage. Uh, and I can tell you, by the way, Marriages in our culture that are built like that don't fall apart. Understand that. Okay? In a culture where 50% of the people who go into a marriage are not going to make it, are not going to stay married, like marriages built like this Bible way, they don't fall apart. God's way seems to be better. All right, let's move on. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Uh, but again, Paul, Paul is creating a well-rounded version of what this should look like, this new Christian home, and children are to be a part of this. They are to obey their parents. Now, this is not stand in fear of your dad and obey him as dictator and master. Don't miss, okay? Because uh, verse number 21, again, we throw it back on like on the mail here, uh, and in verse 21, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will be discouraged. Embitter is kind of a weird word here, but again, this is just dad, dad, like your parent and your children in love and with purpose. So different. 
than their culture. Okay, verse 22, things get a little messier here. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence to the Lord. So is Paul pro-slavery? I don't think that's what's going on here. Okay, Paul isn't attempting to change the culture around them, okay? But he is pushing for a change in the lives of Christians, which in turn would impact the culture, if, if that makes sense. Okay, verse 23, whatever you do, and he's still talking about these slaves working, Christian slaves, now people who have become slaves or become Christian, but they're slaves. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Okay, and then we have, this is verse number one of the final chapter of this letter. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. This is a transition from a cultural, egocentric, male-dominated husband as the power and is to be served in every sort of way. Like, it's a transition from that to a family unit that looks totally different in every single way. And in fact, two observations from this passage, if you're taking notes, as we get kind of ready to transition to be done for today, okay? Number one, and this is, we've been hammering this over and over here, but a Jesus-centered family unit is marked by love and self-sacrifice. It's marked by love and self-sacrifice, and that's kind of the central theme to these 15 or so verses is really about this family unit that is marked by love and self-sacrifice, Marriage should be centered in love, all right? Marriage should be centered in love, but in our culture, we often misdefine that word because I love my wife. I also love tacos. I just want you to know that, okay? Uh, and, and so just understand, the word love in our culture is a mess, and we tend to think and gravitate towards, and our culture screams this at us, that, that a marriage centered in love is a marriage of two people that are in love. And if I can just find the right person, my soulmate, and we will be so in love that, that everything is going to work. And can I just tell you, that's not how it works. Successful marriages are not because people find the right person. Marriage is about being the right people, and it's about learning to love in a little different way. Love is not just something that we feel. It's not just a feeling we have towards somebody else, because let me tell you this, and every one of us who's been married for more than six months will know that that feeling sometimes goes away. Nod your head. Don't be angry if your husband's nodding his head, okay? This is, it, the feeling is not what it once was. And if love for us is just about a feeling, then when the feeling goes away, we begin to think, I need to, 
I need to find somebody else because I chose wrong. I picked, I, you know, and I got to find somebody else now. And this is what our culture is doing over and over. This is not the picture that Paul is painting here. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, a chapter where Paul sort of defines love in a different letter he wrote, again, he just says this. He says, love is not self-seeking. Love is not self-seeking. The idea of love is an action step of placing yourself below another person. Not in like a, 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 a pecking order type of thing. This is what love does. Love says, no, you go first. No, you go first. No, you go first. And you never actually get through a door, but you really love each other. You know what I mean? That's what love is. Love is about the other person it's acting and living as if the other person is more valuable and more important than you are. And this should be the foundation of the marriage relationship. This should be the foundation of parenting our children, love and self-sacrifice. And in a culture where we are not very good at marriage and we are not very good at parenting in America, and I'm being super general here and I don't mean to like, but you, you, you're, you get it. You're with me. We are not good at this stuff and we should stop for a moment and reflect on this. Does this describe your marriage? Does this describe the way you are parenting your children? A Jesus-centered family is marked by love and self-sacrifice. But understand, this conversation that Paul is having about marriage and parenting and the, the home is actually right in the middle of a much bigger conversation and a much bigger point that Paul is making here, of which this is just an example. And that leads us to the second thing, and this is where we're going to kind of uh, close together. But number two is a Christian's life should look different than those around them. This is his bigger point here to these people in Colossae. As he writes, you, you're your life should not look like the Roman Greek people that you were. And your life should not look like the Roman Greek people that are your neighbors. And the people who are living in your culture, your life should be noticeably, markedly different. And that should show itself in all sorts of different ways. And your, but your life should be different than those who their life, if your life is centered in Christ, and someone else isn't, your life should not look like theirs. It's the bigger picture of what he's saying here, and the, and the Christian family is a piece to that puzzle. Music team, will you please come? And listen to me, I'm just going to get, I'm going to get a little heavy and harsh for a moment, so just kind of brace yourself for this, please. If you, if we can't tell the difference between your life and someone who's not a Christian, then you're not doing it right. Then this is not this is not the way that it's supposed to work. Our lives as followers of Christ should look different. Should look different than the people around us. How we handle our money should be different. It should be different than the rest of our culture. What you do with your finances should be different. Our dating relationships should not look like everybody else's. It should look different. It should be different. Our marriages, our families, our priorities should look different. How we spend our time should be different. And the question is just like, in what ways is your life different than the people around you? Now, in Paul's day, this was much clearer. 
he is writing to a Roman world where being a Christian automatically looked very different than everybody else. And there was persecution happening, and there was all sorts of things, and their life was different in so many different ways. For us here today, we live in a culture that is just sort of marked by a complacent, apathetic version of what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. And the temptation for us is to fall into that way of life, but a real, true, like follower of Jesus, their life will stand out as different. Does that describe you? Does that describe the way? Is your life different than the people around you? Because if, it, if it's not, then something isn't, isn't happening the way it's supposed to. Please stand with me all over this place. Before we go today, uh, we're just we're gonna take a moment. We're gonna sing together and just leave a time uh, for just uh, reflection and prayer together. But even as we sing, we're just gonna sing for two minutes. Even as we sing, I want to challenge you to just allow God to to speak something to you that maybe you need to hear today. Maybe it's a reflection on something that was said, something that we read, something that needs to be different, not in a guilt-driven way, saying, wow, I've really messed this up, but in this beautiful, like, like the Holy Spirit just grabbing our hand and saying, let's move forward and let's be different. And so don't miss this opportunity, even as we sing, to connect with God, uh, even in this moment right here. God, I pray that you would help us with this stuff. I pray, God, that every husband in this room would begin to look internally at themselves and saying, am I loving my wife? Am I, am I loving my children? Am I treating them with the love and the self-sacrifice that I need to? I pray that every, that every wife in this place would not look at their husband and say, he needs to do this, but that we would begin to examine our own hearts and our own lives and begin to just say, God, I want to live my life and my marriage in this God-centered, Jesus-centered, self-sacrificial lovely way and so lord we just pray we pray for that we pray that you would help us god with this stuff and god i pray that that as christians we would humbly go into our our lives every single day saying god how would you have me live how would you have me handle my finances how would you have me spend my time God, and what would you have us do? And Lord, that, that as we begin to ask those questions and, and prayerfully, humbly seek you, God, that we would begin to see our lives changed in massive ways, God. And so, Lord, we just come to you with our hearts open, our minds open, and asking for you to help us with that. And God, we also just pray for a moment for, for that person in this room today that maybe has never responded to your message, a message of forgiveness and grace and all of that. And, and, and God, uh, 
someone who has maybe been very religious in their life but has never actually made this a personal thing between you and them. God, we pray for that person. In fact, if you are here today and you have never responded to the message of Jesus personally, I'm not, I'm not saying like have you been baptized or confirmed or that stuff, but maybe you're here and you have never, you've never accepted this message and put your trust and your faith in Jesus. You can do that even right now. And you do that by just saying, God, I give you my life. Forgive me for my, of my sins. Uh, I, I honor you. I believe in you. Change me. Challenge me. You begin to pray those things and say, God, I give you my life today. And so even as we pray in this moment, you can just begin to do that. And so God, we pray for that person or those people where, where today matters in the light of eternity uh, as, as they submit their life to you even for the first time. And so God, we are grateful for your love, for your grace. We are amazed by you. And God, I pray that even as we walk out these doors today, that we would be more in tune with you, Holy Spirit, than ever before, that we would tell people your story and show people your love, challenge us, change us, move us, oh God, we pray. And it's in the powerful, life-changing, incredible name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.